Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Butt in Washington. Today is Monday, October 3rd. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Burkina Faso's new military leader explains why he seized power, but ECOWAS is not impressed. ECOWAS has not changed its attitude towards the country. Burkina Faso remains suspended from the community activities and uh, we are sticking to the original 24-month transition period. Guineans celebrated their country's 64th independence anniversary amid tough for ECOWAS sanctions. UN humanitarian chief says Somalia is still teetering on the edge of famine. Liberian authorities seized cocaine worth US $100 million. In the last few months, for example, there have been a lot of incidents of drug trafficking within the West African sub-region. Liberia is just the latest for several African countries that are being used to transship drugs within the region. And Uganda seeks Ebola funding amid the exposure of 65 health workers. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's post are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Burkina Faso's new military leader, Captain Ibrahim Traore, says he's not looking for confrontation with Burkina B forces that might be supporting the ouster junta. In an interview with reporter Bagasi Kura of VO's Bambara service, Traore says he took over the government not for power but for Burkina Faso. Captain Traore said that when he goes deep into the bush, he sees bearing trees because people are eating the leaves and grass for food. Traore said he and his fellow soldiers have been proposing solutions, but were not being heard. Traore said he and the coup leaders want to get Burkina B out of misery, underdevelopment, and insecurity. Traore told VOA, quote, We are waiting for a national forum that will choose a president. We are not here for power. He says he and other military officers ousted junta leader Paul-Henri Sandago Damiba because he failed to quash a growing Islamist insurgent. An official of the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, says the regional body's policy on Burkina Faso remains the same. Abdel Fatahou Moussad, ECOWAS Commissioner for Political Affairs and Security, says Burkina Faso remains suspended from all regional activities. He also says ECOWAS remains committed to its demand for the military to return Burkina Faso to civilian rule within 24 months, ending in July 2024. This after the military announced late last Friday that military leader Lieutenant Colonel Paul Henri Sandago Damiba had been overthrown. Ambassador Fatahou Musa tells me that this latest coup, Burkina Faso, second in less than a year, may be the result of an internal power struggle within the military. This should have been anticipated because uh, the military has been quite divided ever since the first coup d'etat. That is one. There are also divisions between the military and the gendarmerie. And the recent rapprochement between Colonel Damiba and his people with the dethroned president, Compaore, all added to sort of heating the political atmosphere. But I think this is an internal military struggle. You mentioned the former leader's contact or friendliness with former President Blaise Compare. Are you saying that perhaps the new military leaders may not have liked that or do not like that and that may have contributed 
because Blaise Campari was supposed to be on trial in Burkina Faso. I am not attributing the current coup to that particular incident, you know, because what is happening is actually intra-janta struggle because those involved in this particular coup were all part of the original coup with uh, Colonel Damiba. Their reason is the fact that uh, he has not focused on the fight against terrorism in the country and that uh, he has started playing politics. But what other kind of politics? Because they also, who state this school, are playing politics because this is a second in one year. So, you know, this is like the port accusing the kettle of being black. So both are dabbling in politics and ECOWAS is firmly against any military involvement in the political life of the country. They should stick to their role as defenders of the territorial integrity of the country and then all that. With uh, 40% of Burkina Faso currently under the control of terrorists and other armed groups in the country, you would think that the military have a lot of work to do other than doubling into politics. And this is what Equas is firmly against, and Equas has not changed its attitude towards the country. Burkina Faso remains suspended from the community activities, and uh, we are sticking to the original 24-month transition period for the restoration of constitutional order, which should occur by 1st July 2024. As you mentioned, this is the second coup in Burkina Faso in a year. It's ECOWAS losing the battle for democracy to this military dictatorship in the region. I would like to think that ECOWAS is not losing the battle for democracy. There are many more countries that are nominally democratic than the few that are disrupting the democratization process in the region. What I will say is that there is a combination of factors of uh, governance deficits in the region combined with the asymmetric conflict environment characterized by terrorism, intercommunal violence, and what have you. Thank you so much. Uh, It's a pleasure always to speak with you. Thank you very much, uh, you know, James. Nice talking to you. Ambassador Abdel Fatawu Musa is the new Commissioner for Political Affairs and Security of the Economic Community of West African States ECOWAS. You are speaking with us from New York. Guineans celebrated their country's 64th independence anniversary on Sunday. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, while offering his congratulations, said the United States will continue to stand by the people of Guinea in their pursuit of democratic governance. Sunday's celebrations came a week after the regional group Economic Community of West African States ECOWAS imposed tougher sanctions on the military junta for its failure to reach an acceptable timetable for transition to civilian rule. Abubakar Siddiqui Watara is the spokesperson for Liberal Bloc Party President Faya Milimuno. He tells me that today's leaders of ECOWAS may have lost track of the original reasons for the founding of the regional body. 
As all nations in the world, we all have a day that we're proud of, which is the Independence Day. Today was the Guinean 2nd October, which was our date of independence in 1958. Now, how it happened today, the celebration? The government organized a gathering at the public palace where we received the prime minister of Mali and uh, a lot of people who came from abroad and the Guineans plus the government and all the institutions, the national institutions were present. And the population also came and uh, celebrated with the government. So let me tell you, it was a kind of uh, a happiness in all the country. Recently, ECOWAS renewed sanctions against Guinea. Was there any mention about the transition process during the Independence Day celebration? Look, what is surprising with the ECOWAS is that we don't know why ECOWAS, uh, I mean, people who compose ECOWAS nowadays don't exactly know the reason why ECOWAS was created. The ECOWAS was created in economical issues. Unfortunately, we have come to notice that all those who compose it nowadays, they don't really know what ECOWAS is and have forgotten that Guinea was part of those who created ECOWAS. Now, to come on the sanctions... Today, ECOWAS is uh, sanctioning Guinea, but they have forgotten. The time the president, Alpha Conde, was going for his third mandate, what haven't we said to the ECOWAS? Which cry haven't we forward to them? We did everything for them to intervene. They didn't. They stated everything came worse. They never come to intervene in Guinea. Today, I can't say that everything is perfect. No, everything is not perfect. Things are there we have to correct, but we are really on the real path. What ECOWAS had to do was to accompany Guinean population because their decisions should be based on the will of the population, not on their own will, on the will of the population. Have they asked themselves how many percent of Guinean people are happy with this junta? I'm sure no. They didn't ask themselves because if they asked themselves, they would not sanction Guinea. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure speaking with you. The pleasure is mine. Thank you. Abubakar Siddiqui Watara is the spokesperson for Liberal Bloc Party President Fayyam Limono. He was speaking with us from the Guinean capital, Kunakri. Listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Butt in Washington. Today is Monday, October 3rd. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. Liberian authorities say they have carried out a huge drug arrest, resulting in the seizure of U.S. $100 million worth of cocaine. Senior government officials, including the Minister of Justice, the Director of the Liberia Drug Enforcement Agency, and the Minister of Information, did not respond to our request for an interview on the details of the seizure. Rodney Sear is the editor-in-chief and publisher of Liberia's front-page Africa newspaper. He says the operation took place midday Saturday when authorities raided the food company Sunlit Incorporated and arrested a 31-year-old Guinea-Bissau national named Malam Conte. Sia tells me that there are concerns that Liberia may be the latest of several West African countries being used for drug trafficking. The government uh, not officially issued a statement, but um, 
the Liberia Drug Enforcement Agency did put out a summary of what transpired on early Saturday morning. Apparently, about 9 a.m. Saturday, three individuals arrested from Guinea-Bissau. Their name is Malam County. Another two individuals are still on the run. Gustavo Henrique, a Brazilian, and Adulai Jibril, a Portuguese national. A fourth suspect, a Lebanese national identified as Isam Maki. He resides in Liberia. He was arrested on the Sierra Leone side of the Liberian border early Sunday morning, uh, trying to escape. He was the one, according to investigators, who was tasked with negotiating with local businesses to purchase their container once it arrived with frozen goods in Liberia. Apparently, this cooking was produced in Colombia and packaged and parcel on a container in Brazil. And so it was shipped to Liberia and the container that contained frozen chicken feet and other chicken goods. So once it landed in Liberia last week, the merchant who ordered the container was unaware that they had cocaine in the container. And he alerted authorities from what we gathered, suggesting that there was an individual, Malam Conti, from Guinea-Bissau, who was trying to buy the container for 200,000 United States dollars. That raised the red flag because the chicken feed cost at least between 50 and $20 a pack. And it was uh, mind-boggling that this guy was willing to pay so much money for the chicken feed in the container. Let me say, Rodney, we made every attempt to contact Liberian government officials, including the Minister of Justice, the Director of the Liberia Drug Enforcement Agency, and even the Minister of Information. None of them have agreed to speak on the record. I'm interested in knowing, for example, does Liberia have a record of drug trafficking? Well, um, I don't know if you can remember, there was a case in 2009, a Nigerian national by the name of Chipo Ume. He was busted as part of an undercover stint in Monrovia. Chipo, along with two Colombians, uh, were members of a drug cartel who tried to get the head of the NSA at the time, Fumba Salif, the stepson of Madam Ellen Johnson Salif, the former president, to allow shipment of drugs into Liberia for transshipment to other countries. But in the last few months, for example, there have been a lot of incidents of drug trafficking within the West African subregion. So Liberia is just the latest for several African countries that are being used to transship drugs within the region. What is the reaction of the ordinary Liberians to this news? Well, social media have been the buzz since this incident took place. There have been a lot of uh, concern that Liberia already subject to U.S. sanctions in the wake of issues of money laundering cases and officials involved in stuff like that. To hear that there's been another incident of drug running in Liberia is, is a cause for concern and alarm. Uh, but also the Americans alerted the Liberian authorities to this because they got the wind of information that this drug was coming to the country. So people are happy that the Americans alerted the Liberian authorities which means that the investigation will at least see the light of day. Rodney, thank you so much again. It's always a pleasure to speak with you on Daybreak Africa. Thank you, Rodney C. is the editor-in-chief and publisher of Liberia's front-page Africa newspaper. He was speaking with us from the Liberian capital, Monrovia. 
The United Nations Humanitarian Office in Somalia says the country is still teetering on the edge of famine. Ian Radley is the head of the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, OCHA, in Somalia. He says forecasts indicate that the rainy season from October to December is going to fail. He tells reporter Harun Maruf of the U.S. Somali Service that the humanitarian community is scaling up its support to the government to ensure that famine can be averted. Right now, at the beginning of October, the drought continues to bite. So we have almost 8 million people in need and over a million people who've been displaced. Uh, And this is because four consecutive rainy seasons have failed, going back to October 2020. Now we're at the beginning of the current rainy season, so I think we're all hoping and praying that the rains will come. Uh, But based on the the recent patterns, I think the weather forecasts and the climatologists are telling us there's a, a high probability that this next rainy season from October to December uh, will fail. So that increases the risk of famine. And I would say we are teetering on the edge of famine, particularly in Baidoa and Burhakaba, and particularly amongst IDPs in, in Baidoa. And how is that delivery of humanitarian? Are you confident that this assistance could be delivered in time to avert, or do you think it will be very challenging? So the scale-up of the humanitarian response over the last few weeks has been impressive, and a lot of it is uh, focused on Baidoa and Bohakaba. So I think we're confident that particularly for the people in the IDP sites that are easy to reach, we can reach them with humanitarian assistance. I think what we're concerned about are people in the rural areas that are more difficult to reach, uh, areas that are under the control of non-state armed groups, Al-Shabaab specifically. Uh, We're concerned about those areas, but we must continue to push out of the uh, cities and towns into the rural areas and reach as many people as possible. Speaking of Al-Shabaab, what are the other challenges that you are facing with regard to the current security situation? On the ground, we have heard the story of the killing of the staff working at the drilling in Gedo. We have also heard that some humanitarian workers may have been targeted. Can you talk about these issues? Yes, so there have been some incidents in the last few days, uh, such as you mentioned, and that that marks a worrying turn in the situation. And when when humanitarians are are targeted, we do get worried. Now, we need to understand exactly what's happened before we draw conclusions, but I think it's it's reasonable to assume that there are forces, uh, non-state armed groups in these areas that don't want humanitarians doing their work. So it's it's a huge concern, and I think that's the ongoing theme particularly with Al-Shabaab, they've made it clear and continue to make it clear that humanitarian assistance delivered by the international community and even by national NGOs isn't welcome in areas that they control. The World Health Organization and Ugandan authorities are seeking $18 million to contain the Ebola outbreak in the country for the next three months. The initiative comes as Uganda registers the death of the first health worker, a Tanzanian national, which brings the total number of confirmed cases to 38, with seven deaths. Halima Atumani reports from Kampala. 
Speaking to the media after a high-level closed-door meeting organized by the World Health Organization or WHO in Kampala, Dr. Jen Rutha Cheng, Uganda's Minister for Health, revealed the first death of a medical worker. On Thursday, the ministry announced that six health workers had been confirmed to have the Ebola Sudan strain and two more were in critical condition. The health worker, a Tanzanian national, was moved to an isolation facility at a hospital in the neighboring district of Fort Poto from Mwenda district where he had handled the first Ebola case. Because of what a chain called some mistakes, more health workers have been exposed to Ebola. And we have lost seven people, unfortunately, and one of them is a medical doctor. It is true that we have 65 health workers who have been exposed. Now all these 65 health workers are under quarantine. The current Ebola Sudan strain so far has affected four districts in Uganda, including Mwende, with the epicenter in Madudu sub-county, Chegegwa, Kasanda, and now the Kagadi district. A chain reveals the main commonality with the four affected districts. People from Madudu run to these districts because they thought there was witchcraft in Madudu and they were running away either to find a safe haven or to reach out to relatives to help them treat what to them was a strange disease that they did not understand. However, with the various interventions that we have had, the people of Madudu have now understood that it is Ebola and it is not witchcraft. The Sudan Ebola virus is less common than the Zaire Ebola virus and there is no current effective vaccine. The Sudan Ebola virus was first reported in southern Sudan in 1976. Although several outbreaks have been reported since then in both Uganda and Sudan, the deadliest outbreak in Uganda was in 2000, claiming more than 200 lives. Halima Othmani for VA News, Kampala, Uganda. It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports. And here is Samson O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too. James will begin the sport with athletics, where Kenya's Amos Kipuruto won his maiden London Marathon on Sunday. Kipuruto, who had finished second at Tokyo Marathon in March this year, claimed his maiden World Marathon major title, winning in the British capital in 2 hours, 4 minutes and 39 seconds. Kipuruto, who stayed in the park for the better part of the race, claimed victory in style after tactically brushing aside a strong challenge from his sea of Ethiopian athletes in the last seven kilometers. I'm really happy because I got the invitation for London Marathon and uh, it was my first time to be in UK, this race for London Marathon and I, I did my best and I won. And I'm really happy. I can't explain myself. To be the first in the race and won and it is major race, actually it's uh, giving me morale and I know I'll come and defeat my title. 
in the women's category, Ethiopia's Lemon Zeb Yehualo also won her maiden London Marathon in what was just the second marathon of her career. Yehualo's winning time of 2 hours, 17 minutes, 26 seconds was just 3 seconds outside the mark she set at the Hamburg Marathon in April when making the fastest debut. And out to some football news, Guinea has been stripped of hosting the 2025 African Cup of Nations African because the infrastructure is not yet ready. CAF President Petrus Musepi was in the Guinean capital Conakry on Friday when he announced that the 2014 tournament will be removed because of a lack of suitably advancing infrastructure and facilities. The Confederation of African Football will now reopen bidding for the 2025 African Cup of Nations with Morocco and Algeria among the nations set to apply. Lansana Bin Diallo, Minister of Sports and President of Kokan, reacts to the announcement of CAV withdrawing the hosting rights from his country. It's premature that the Football African Confederation stop them to organize the CONCAF in 2025. It is true that they don't have enough evidence to show that the infrastructure, hospital, airport, and stadium are not ready, but they promise that by 2025, Everything will be rebuilt. Pour mettre toutes les infrastructures effectivement qui vont permettre à ce pays de se développer. In tennis news, Maya Sharif became the first Egyptian to win a WTA tour title after beating top seed Maria Sakari of Greece in the Palmer Open final on Saturday. Sharif ranked 74th, defeated world number 7 Sakari 7563 to win a historic title. The 26-year-old's victory over Sakari is her first over a top 10 opponent. And that's it for Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a very good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, October 3rd edition of Daybreak Africa. I am James Barton in Washington.